Hi, this is Jimmy, and you're listening to Stage Door Medium. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 11, The Girl from Oz, featuring composer, arranger, and musical director, Carmel Dean. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Stage Door Medium. I hope this video or audio finds you well and healthy at home, um, wearing a mask. So um, our, our episode today, I'm so excited to, to talk with her today. Just some of the incredible, uh, gosh, I, I, I was gushing, getting, getting ready for this interview tonight. I was looking up a little bit more because if you if you're listening at home, I can't look up anything about the folks that I read at first. So it's not until I can like get the green light after the read. And then I'm like, all right, now I really want to explore and see what this person has done. And just we're going to go over it like just the credits are astounding. And then to combine that with the humility of this person is just mind boggling. So please join me in welcoming Carmel Dean to our show today. Hi, Carmel. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm I'm so, so, so excited to have you here. You're so sweet. Thanks. Well, if you are watching or listening, it doesn't matter which, which I don't know why I always say that. It doesn't matter what format. Carmel's credits are crazy. Um, so, oh, oh gosh, um, please bear with me because I know it's got to be awkward on your end to hear all of these. But so Carmel is a, gosh, I had I had it written down. She's a composer. She's an arranger. She's a music director. She's a pianist. Um, she was the musical director for If Then on Broadway. And then she transferred to the tour. Um, did you do the whole tour? Or did you just get it started up? I did the first few months. I did the the three months uh like that Adina, Adina and Anthony and LaShawns did. Nice. Yeah. So in addition to that, she was um, uh, with 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, American Idiot. Um, uh, gosh, and then just recently, was it 2018, Carmel, that that um, that the transport group um, mm-hmm. had had your your debut production of um, Renaissance? We were just talking about this or uh, Renaissance and the music. Oh, we're going to talk about it. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> then I saw that you were, you're currently working on the adaptation of The Notebook with Ingrid Michaelson and that you were Cheetah Rivera's vocal director for, for different concerts. And I'm like, and then I talk with you and just the humility that, that spills out of you is just. <laughs> Get so, around. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. <laughs> How did you know you wanted to write music? Well, I'd been playing piano from a very early age. I think it was three when my parents started me in piano lessons. So music was always a part of my life. And my parents were big advocates of the arts. And my little sister is now a professional violinist. So there was always music in our house growing up. And um, I just knew I was going to study music at a college level and then go on to see what I could do in music. Um, and at some point I just realized that there were other things to do with music besides playing the piano. And one of those things was writing music. And I wasn't one of those kids who would just write songs all the time and sit in my bedroom and we have journals, I actually hated journaling. I still do actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I really didn't start composing my own stuff until I was in college. Um, and even then I was, just, I stuck a toe in, I guess. I didn't fully dive into it. And I, I started with poems 
um, a couple of my own lyrics, but nothing that I really took seriously. Um, so it hasn't really been until lately that I've really started calling myself a composer. It's been a gradual evolution of that part of my, my musical life. Could you talk a little bit about, because what fascinates me is that with Renaissance, these were all poems. Mm. These were all poems of, of Edna. Is it Edna St. Vincent, right? Malay? Edna St. Vincent Malay. Yeah. And so I, what really compelled me, I was like, I've, I have to word it this way, especially for the sake of the show. Your lyricist is deceased. So in a way, it's like you're kind of working alongside very much like a spirit of, of somebody who's left their work behind. And it's, it's really not, not that common. You know, I mean, I know there's times where one, like a composer or a lyricist, one of them has passed on and they kind of finish with the other. But this was very much like, here's the poems and, yep. and you have free reign. So could you talk about what that experience was like and how, how what it's like working with pre-established lyrics and how you find the emotion and make sure that the truth is there yeah it, it's definitely a multi-level thing um you know when i first started setting her poetry um i didn't know i was writing a musical about her life um the whole malay chapter of my life began when i auditioned for nyu for the music theater writing program where one of the tasks is to set your favorite song time does not bring relief to music um, and that was back in 2001 that I did that. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of Malay, um, uh, you know, being this, this great American poet, but I hadn't heard of her coming from Australia. Um, and so over the years, I subsequently, when I felt like writing a song and I was not writing my own lyrics at that point, I would just open, a, uh, open my volume of Malay poetry and find a poem that spoke to me. And it would just be a random moment of whatever emotion I wanted to pour out in music at that time. So I would look for something that, that had a similar song structure um, to a lyric, or sim similar structure to a song lyric, um, and also something that, that I emotionally connected with at that moment. So, you know, but I eventually had over a dozen these songs I thought okay I have a Malay song cycle here and I played them for Dick Scanlon and he said um I I think there's a story here I think we can figure out what what this uh there may be a there may be a story we can tell about Malay and so that changed my relationship with her she was no longer just someone whose words I was setting but she was someone I was bringing to life um and one of the many things that I, um, one of the many tasks that I took on as the composer of that show um, was, was wanting to honor her, honor her as a woman, as an artist, as a poet, um, and as someone who um, is no longer, um, you know, in the top five list of poets that are studied at most schools and colleges. So I thought I have a responsibility. I mean, she's helping me put my work into the world in a sense. I need to help bring her work back and introduce her to a new audience. Um, so she's a really forward thinker for the time too. I mean, I mean, from yeah, what I read, she was pretty sex positive. I mean, she was pretty progressive. Yeah, she was. Time. 
Yeah, yeah. She was um, pretty unapologetic about the way she lived and very brave and brazen. And um, that all comes through in her work. Mm -hmm. she, she was a great example for, for strong, artistic women 100 years ago. When you are when you were taking those poems and, and setting them to music, were there ever moments where you were like, I don't know if what I have written out structure-wise fits? Like what was, and was there a big revision process for you? Did you ever feel like in a way she was there going, no, 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 I don't like that, fix this. Or, or is that your own, you know, is that your own little critic inside of you? How would you describe it? I mean, look, it, I think it was a, a blessing and a curse that my collaborator was not in the room with me, right? Um, <laughs> that you know of. <laughs> I didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I didn't remember who I'm talking to. Um, <laughs> I wish I'd known you two years ago. We could have had some great. Emily, she doesn't like that. Switch measure four to eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, oh, that would have been so great um, to have a visit from her. Um, Look, the poems are the poems. So there's, I, and I, I never changed a word because I obviously wanted to honor her work. Yeah. Um, this, the, the tweaks that I had to make, if you can even call them that, where I added vocalises, I added a whole refrain of, whoa, 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 you know, I would add musical oohs and ahs and la la la's and yeah. that kind of thing, um, just to, to allow the poem to breathe and have some space musically because the language was so dense. Um, so I, you know, I never really like messed with her words in that way. Um, I think as we were telling her story through the book scenes and then integrating these songs, um, yeah, there was definitely a sense that we were, we were honoring this woman, but we also wanted to be truthful um, about about her life and about the choices that she made. And she basically was always putting her art and her work first, um, but she felt that she needed to and look what she was able to leave behind. Um, but we really just tried to capture that, um, the complexity of her life and of an artist's life. So I would hope that she thought that we honored her I know she did. A, I know. A, absolutely. A and that's, a, that's when I, you know, that's when I don't even have to be a medium to go. I'm sure she, mm. she's deeply touched by it. Um, I'm going to play people at home, a quick clip from my favorite piece from it. Um, not to put you on the spot, but one of my favorite moments from, from time does not bring relief. So, mm, all right. I, and then I want to, I want to just dissect, dissect it for a minute. I want to like, all right, what was going through your brain? How do you know to go here and here? So here we go. Quick clip. Your music has a way of, I don't know, it lingers with, with me. It's, it's so special. And 
Now the, and then uh, have you, I mean, I don't know if it exists. Have you fallen down the rabbit hole? Are there tons of like other YouTube versions of people covering this that? Oh, there are so many. There are so many. Composers love Malay because poetry is so often lyrical. Um, And, you know, there is this song that is the NYU graduate music theater writing assignment. So for the last 20 plus years, probably 20 to 50 people are setting their own version of this poem. So just that song alone, there must be hundreds of versions out there, but um, there, there are many, many versions of other Malay poems that have been set to music. Well, I'm going to fall down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of, I guess, I, I guess let's go there if that's, if, if that's okay. So you, you put your baby out there, which has got to be a very vulnerable thing to uh-huh. do, to be like, Hey, here's what I have been working on so much. And now <laughs> what are your thoughts yeah. when you don't have a degree in music or, or composition? And what do you think about what we put out there? And yeah. so what are your thoughts on, cause I won't lie. I sweat like my palms sweat. Anytime I read a New York times review of something, it makes me so nervous. And I, then I usually start swearing and like, just, and my, my husband's like, we read it and we're like, bullshit like mm-hmm. just some of the reviews will kill something dead and mm-hmm. um and i find that the ones that are usually reviewed the harshest um flourish you know what i mean mm-hmm. and uh, so i guess what are your thoughts on on reviews oh, what that God. process I is could, like i could talk for for days um <laughs> look i think i think in this country in the city way too much weight is given to reviews and reviewers. Um, It's one person's opinion. I think art is so completely subjective. The fact that things in our industry will survive or die based on one person's opinion is so heartbreaking. Um, And I think it's something that needs to be fixed. We, We need to take the power away from the reviewers. And I understand why they're there um you know it's a it's a marketing tool and it's a way of bringing people in to see shows but um i I think there needs to be a healthier way to quote unquote review shows or um speak about speak about the, the work um and have different different voices reviewing different shows um, which is starting to happen now, but it will be interesting when the theater comes back, um, looking at how the brand new shows will be reviewed, opening up after this unprecedented traumatic time, right? A review is going to be kinder. easier on shows, kinder. It'll be fascinating to see. Um, but yeah, look, I have had, I feel like I've now had, I've been mentioned in the New York, new York Times um, more times less favorably than favorably um but as, as an arranger or as an accompanist and you know i've only been mentioned probably half a dozen times but um it is t- having said all the things i just said about it, it's not important it's not important it's, it shouldn't be important it's still like a knife to the heart when you read something that's not 1000 percent glowing about you and you know so much of that is ego i understand um, but the other part of it is that you are putting your baby into the world and it may not resonate with that one person, but it's going to resonate with a hundred other people who don't happen to have jobs writing for the New York yeah. Times theater department. You know, 
You said it best. I mean, it's funny. I mean, because while I don't necessarily get reviewed in a way, each time I do a reading, it's funny. I always say each time I do a reading, it is like an opening night, so to speak. And the fact that you're working with somebody who doesn't necessarily know the way you work. Um, and, you know, even though I, I, I try to say, oh, I don't care if, if, if they, um, you know, I don't want to say I don't care. You have to you have to not care in, mm-hmm. in order to, you know what I mean? And that's, it, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. You've got to put your own ego aside, but it is tough. I mean, the one I, I, once in, once in a blue moon, I will have somebody at the end of a reading who will run down like the quality of the reading and will basically like treat it like a quiz. She's like, well, you get like a nine out of a 10 and you got this, but you know, you said, you know, um, Jerry with a J instead of like, jerry with a g or something I'm like <laughs> really and, and you know what i mean so we I, I know i as well just have to step back and it's always nice to get an email back um you know after i send a note from a reading that's that's like thank you so much this made sense but i know there's those times where like if you don't hear back you're like did, did they right. did they get something good out of it you know and and then i you know there comes a point where you know jen Kalella and i mentioned this there comes a point where we have to step back and go okay, it's, it's not my responsibility to tell you how to unpack these messages mm-hmm. or my music. Um, and maybe, maybe it doesn't gel with you, but maybe some, maybe you leave the reading and you tell your mom and your mom's like, oh, that makes so much sense. So maybe somebody else connects with it. And That's right. That's so, right. And I think at the end of the day, if you are doing your best and most authentic work, then that should be the be all and end all shouldn't matter how someone else responds or reacts to it and uh, you know i i i remember so vividly standing at the very back of the theater on closing night of renaissance and i listened to the, the final bars and i thought well you know the show did not get a great new york times review the show's not moving to broadway um you know it's not like everyone I know from Midtown flocked down to see this show. Like there were, there were a list of things that I wish would have gone a little bit differently. I thought, but if I get hit by a bus on the way home, I'm still going to be happy. I'm still going to be pleased that this is what I put out into the world. And now I ha- I've done it. I gave birth to this thing and it now exists yeah. beyond me. So at the end of the day, that's really all you should be aiming for. I spoke with somebody actually who who saw it because I guess they went to support Hannah in it and they said it was just it was just gorgeous and so and they they did they you know the the review I read they they reviewed you very favorably they 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 spoke very highly of you and I was like you know uh, and I was ready to um you know yeah, ready there, to, there, there was there were some very nice things that were said but you know you always it's like you you always want more right you always want that's that's such a great life lesson like what are you waiting for other people to say and what are you waiting for them to give you like there's no way that that little tiny show would have transferred to broadway but there was somewhere deep down inside of me that i wanted the heading in the new york times to say broadway's next hit like it just never happened so you have to find the satisfaction and the gratitude and the and the humility elsewhere. And sometimes that comes after it. I mean, and look at Edna mm-hmm. St. Vincent. I mean, I don't know if she ever would have anticipated that somebody would have been turning her poems into a musical. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So the, I, I always say that 
sometimes the the greatest impact it might be long after we were done with it or you That's know we're I mean. and so yeah um, a hundred years down the road someone's turning the, the <laughs> musical back into it exactly oh, i know there are movies, i gotta yeah. i gotta get somebody to write like a musical about mediums and uh and uh well, you know people i <laughs> Well, I'd love to talk with you because it, it's funny, it came up in the reading and um, I'd, I'd love to talk with you about the role of like a mentor within within music direction and, and being a composer because obviously I have a mentor as a medium. There's I have somebody that I love and I trust and when I need it, I give them a buzz and I'm like, I got this symbol for the first time today. Like, did I relay that mm. right? And as mediums, we can, it's really neat. We can kind of tap into somebody else's reading and go, yep. And was their name this, or did they talk about this? And, but I mean, what's neat is that, you know, for us, I mean, our, our mentors, we're, we're still working under the same style. So how does that work for you? I mean, with, with mentors being so different, um, what's the, what, what is the ultimate goal of a mentor think, for a composer? as a musician or composer or uh, any kind of artist, you're not, I mean, the, the role of a mentor for me has been most helpful when it's about uh, the mentality. It's not so much about the work, although it is about the work too, obviously, but it's, it's calling someone saying, I have been sitting at the piano for three hours and I can't get this chord progression. They, they won't say, oh, we'll try a B minor chord. They'll say, go outside, go for a run, listen to some music, um, go for a swim. Like, you know, it's like general but specific tips and tools on how to clear your writer's block um, or, or just encouragement in that um, all writers go through challenges. Writing is never easy. And that's the thing that, you know, I have three or four or five fantastic mentors over the years. I don't think anyone's ever been prescriptive in a musical sense. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I've, I've mostly used my mentors as um, beacons of support and encouragement. And that's what I think I would be, I would like to be um, for people that I mentor. I think it's just about sharing my experiences and encouraging them to keep going when it's hard rather than saying oh you know add more vibrato and change that f sharp to a g sharp or whatever well i think you hit the nail on the head too so many times i mean and now i'm thinking of it as you're talking i mean my mentorship it, it, it's the same thing it's usually never you relayed this message wrong it's usually i'm beating myself up over or you know i'm like I got nine out of 10 things correct on this reading. And here I am beating myself up because mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. truth is, I mean, you talked about sitting at a piano for three hours and having a, a temporary block, like as mediums, we get blocked too. It can happen. So, and it's always from the same thing. I'm, I'm assuming composers go through it's, it's the self-doubt. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the, yeah, it's the, the negative self-talk. It's the, it's the imposter syndrome where, mm -hmm. you know, we, we think that, um, there are so many, there must be countless others that are better than us that are doing this so easily. And um, I've had it happen a couple of times and it's not fun. And, and, you know, you do have to just put on your, you know, your, your big boy pants and get over yourself and 
go out for a walk and walk the dogs or, you know, or it could literally be something like getting a massage, like taking, you know, just doing something for yourself that it it recenters me. It's not the work, but it's the work. Yeah. It's the work. Yeah. The work behind the work that, that is crucial. Um, self-care and um, I'd also love to talk with you about about your song cycle of well-behaved women and Carmel wrote this incredible series of songs that are just all about badass women throughout history there's like Eve and Cleopatra and Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Harriet Tubman and when you wrote these songs did you write them also with for example like LaShawn's in mine or Liz, uh, Liz Calloway. And when you do that, is it difficult? Because like, are you not only channeling what Harriet Tubman would say and how she would sing it, but how the artist that you're crafting it for would sing it? Mm, some I did. Some I did not. I'd say most I did not actually. Um, I, I had the idea to write just a bunch of standalone songs that would then be contained within this um, framework of amazing historical women that we know or that we do not know but they all have something really cool to say um so for the most part i would focus on the historical woman and try to get into their head at a very specific time in their lives and that's where i would start the song from but for harriet tubman i did actually think of lachance did you like this is because she's a dear friend of mine and such an incredible artist and i thought okay well, I'm going to write this song and hope that hope, hope that one day she can sing it. And she did, which was very, very exciting. Which LaShawn's was also, I mean, it's a great segue. LaShawn's was also in If Then, which you were the music director for. So um, I loved If Then. I remember, I, I mean, I, I know I told you about it. It was such a special show to have something that was not based on a book or a, like a movie. And I felt like- original completely original it you know I I felt like one of the review things that I read said that it got too complicated and I'm like why are we why are we dumbing this stuff you know what I mean like no one in the theater that I was with was confused it was so easy to follow I felt like the the plot line and the the way the characters you know the the same-sex relationship characters were portrayed were just I felt like so meaningful and Mm -hmm. honest and um what was that experience like you know doing it was such a beautiful show to be a part of from the get-go and right through the closing performance and then continuing on to tour it I mean I always say that every single show you do is different right but there was something about coming to work every night and if then just feeling like such a special family um and that's because Adina led this great sure. she, she really was a great leader of the company, but then LaShawn's and Anthony and Jen, and I mean, everyone just stepped up and it was a company full of adults and mature people and artists who just were all so excited to be telling this original story too. There was such a heart to, not just to the show, but to to the company and to, um, uh, you know, it's cliche, but that it was a family. Like it really was a family in in a way that I haven't experienced in other shows. Um, and it was, it felt the same way down in the pit every night. I mean, we all really just took care of each other and the music was so beautiful and just so heart opening. Um, it, it, it really was a joy to be a part of. 
and every show that I've worked on, uh, you know, I don't, I, I definitely don't want to say that those other shows were not oh, joyous course. because they, they have all been joyous, but um, there was, there's something special about that. And I think it had to do with this unique original story that we were telling about real people. So to find some parallels between it, because I know sometimes if I am, <laughs> if I'm reading somebody, for example, whose work I, I really admire, or even if it's not a, a Broadway performer, if it's, you know, your everyday person and there's a message that comes up and I'm like, like it shows on my face, like they'll show me and I'm like, and then I'll go, I'll go oh, how do you want me to word that? Because it might be really tender. And I'm like, mm -hmm. so sometimes when I ask questions, if you have had a reading with me or you see me asking like two to three extra questions, it's just my way of softening the turf. Mm -hmm. So I can, so I wanted to ask you, you know, with, with having Adina um, at, you know, at, at the helm of the ship, what is it like? I mean, for example, as, as, you know, as music director, you have to deliver notes to her. So, I mean, is that an awkward process to be like, Hey, are you okay? Like you were sounding not, not that she would, but I mean, are there ever times where you're like, you have, you sounded a little off on this or you're mm -hmm. rushing this. How does that work? I mean, is it, is it nerve wracking or you're like, eh, it's the part of the job. Yeah. Look, I think it's funny. I just, I, you reminded me of my very first professional job, which was associate music directing elegies by william finn and ah. my main role in the rehearsals for that show was to work with betty buckley and teach her all of her notes and this was a brand new show so it's not like she'd listen to the recording and then come in so and i was i don't know 24 25 maybe baby zero experience professionally and she's like and betty like, buckley and she's <laughs> betty buckley so i'm like how am i supposed to teach her stuff and you know like lead her through this process and i asked rob fisher who was a mentor of mine yeah. a man uh, and he said you need to know what the composer's intent is and intentions are and you are the conduit between the composer and the singer that's all you're there to do i mean you can't pretend that you have 40 years of experience um you just have to let her feel safe and know what the composer wants and help her achieve that and so I've taken that through me as I've music directed um, many other fancy people over the years. Um, look, and there's definitely a, an element of trust that needs to be there. And, and you, I mean, you can't force someone to trust you. I think like one of my gifts and something I'm proud of is that I, I, I am pretty good at helping people feel at ease and feel comfortable um i think some of that is just my australian laid-backness <laughs> and my <laughs> sense of humor um and i think you know i am there to help them do their job better i'm not there to force them to do something that they don't want to do or to push them in a direction they don't want to go in so that's my philosophy as an md so um pretty early on i you know developed that rapport with adina and then you know we a couple of years developing the show and then we're finally on broadway and we're doing eight shows a week and yeah she would get tired because it was a crazy crazy sing eight times a week and she's also opening frozen and she's singing at the super bowl and you know there was a lot going on that year that we did if then um and so i would just have to go you know check in with her every night before the show see how she was doing and then if there are any issues um i would see her afterwards or she would ask me to come to her dressing room and you just talk about it like 
you know, like you're two adults. And I would say, you know, you, how are you feeling? Um, you know, maybe there were also things that I would need to ask her to look at if there, if I wasn't getting a, a pickup clearly enough, I'd have to say, oh, can you turn towards me and give me a little more of a physical entrance so I know where to conduct the downbeat, that kind of thing. You just have to have those conversations um, clearly and with respect. Um, and that's that's how you get through it. I mean, it's never about attacking or blaming or, or you know, being defensive. It's certainly easier as I get older, though. I will say that. Like, 25-year-old me with Betty Buckley, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was a really good starting st starting place. But then, you know, it's like 30-something-year-old me with Adina Menzel was was a little less scared. <laughs> yeah, like, I got this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, I, I, God, I got to pick your brain. I'm going to put a clip up while, while we're talking about it. I think one of my favorite things, and it's got, it must be such a humbling experience, is I feel like one of the misconceptions about Broadway, you know, if you're, if you're not a New Yorker or if you're, you know, if you haven't been to a Broadway show, but you've maybe just seen tours, so many people forget how tiny these theaters are. And, and now I don't know the full story behind Radio City because even I'm baffled because I'm like, that's a big theater. The video is, it's crazy. It's, it's thrilling to watch. It's also funny because at one point I literally thought somebody was like pooping next to you while you were like- Someone was changing the trash. Yeah, I was like, literally, oh my God. I was like, is somebody- was changing the trash, yeah. I heard, I'm like, is somebody using the bathroom? Yeah, so yeah. I will put up a clip while we're talking about this, but there you are conducting Adina's, you know, the, the orchestra. And or was it orchestra and Adina? So yeah, he, he is the, the dirty little secret about the Tonys. <laughs> a lot of the performances are pre-recorded with the orchestra or the band. So the instrumentation was, was not live. Adina was singing live. Um, I was conducting Adina so she could see, so she could have some yeah. kind of like live person. But there was a giant monitor, a TV screen at the back of Radio City so she could see me waving my arms. But I was not conducting a live orchestra, but there were cutoffs and things that I needed to give her so that she would be lined up with the orchestra. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's much cleaner. You have much more control for TV. I mean, the Tony Awards are, are Pretty popular TV broadcast, so they try to pre-record as much as they can and still have the live vocals. So there still is a, an element of authenticity, and there is a live orchestra in the pit at Radio City that's playing all of the incidental music. So uh, when the a, a winner of a certain award is announced, they will play 16 bars from that from that show. Um, but all of the big performance numbers uh pre-recorded so that the sound can be controlled as it's so how did you get stuck in a bathroom though how are they like <laughs> go to this toilet stall well because uh, who knows i mean there, <laughs> there are thousands of people running around radio city on the night of the tonys right thousands yeah. of people um you know in and out of the, the their seats in the theaters and backstage and i'm just it's a lot of people to herd so i imagine they're like okay we'll just have this tiny little bathroom <laughs> on the fourth floor that we can send the conductors that's to great. that's going to be easy they don't have to deal with like getting lost in the bowels of yeah the, the basement um 
And so, you know, almost every music director you talk to in New York has had their moment in the bathroom at the Tony Awards. Like right. The look on your face is so cute at the end where you're just like, we did it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's still really nerve wracking, right? I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna mess up because you can't, you know, there's no live musician. You're not gonna give the wrong cue, but you know you're still there and you're still a part of the performance. And Adina Menzel is belting her face off and she's waiting for the cutoff so that she doesn't hold on past the the band so you know it's still scary and you know there are not only thousands of people watching live but there's millions on watching on television Um, and it just so happened that I ran into a friend of mine backstage as I was on my way up to the bathroom I said can you come with me I'm about to conduct it's only going to be three and a half minutes that's so funny if you filmed it it's an old friend of mine from from western Australia and I think it was his first Tony Awards and, you know, it was such a kick. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I, and I'm going to, I'll put up the full clip in the bio so people can watch it. It's just, it's one of my favorites. It's just, it's so funny because, you know, if you're, if, you know, you obviously can't really hear, you can't really hear Adina, but I mean, you can sometimes if the actual, your friend filming it picked her up from the acoustics of the lobby, but it's, 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 it's wild. So it's so funny. Yeah. And I, I remember like, as I was waving my arms, I'm like, I think the Jenna just, Janet came in to change the trash up. Oh, well. Wow, this is not what I imagined when I was growing up in Perth, Western Australia. The glamour. <laughs> the glamour of the Tony Awards. <laughs> but it's been a great story for years. So. Oh, it's wonderful. Um, I, you know, a couple more things and we'll, we'll wrap up. I mean, obviously with this, with this being a, uh, a video, you know, a, a podcast, video podcast and, and show about, um, about arts and mediumship. Um, what, is there anything that you don't mind sharing about um, your reading? Because I read you, what was it, two weeks ago? Yeah, two weeks two ago. Two weeks ago. Anything um, that, that you feel comfortable? Gosh, it was incredible. Yeah, it's funny, I, I, I talked to Sally the next day, who's the amazing Sally Wilford. Sally Wilford. Us and, um, and she said, what She said, what did you learn? And I said, I'm still processing it all. It was also... Um, you know, there were so many things that just kept unraveling and, and have kept unraveling. I've been thinking a lot about, um, I, I asked you at the very end, a question to ask my ancestors, like, where am I supposed to be? Uh-huh. Because right now this is, yes, you know, we've, yeah. we've been, we've, we've all been a little transient because of what's happening in the world. And I'm now heading to Australia. And I really thought that the answer was going to be, stay in Australia, stay with your family, because, you know, I'm talking to my family members through you. Um, and you said that they said my, it was my grandmother's, who said, stay in New York. I was like, oh, or come back to New York, your home, your yes. home is New York. And that's, that's really been playing out in my mind, because two weeks, two months, like six months ago, I was like, I don't know if New York is my home anymore. Um, so that, that was a great piece of info. Um, Gosh, so many great things. Oh, can we, I mean, if it's okay, and if it's not, I'll cut this part out. Can we talk about the part that, so as a medium, if you're watching, I, sometimes I get, so we call it objective or subjective seeing clairvoyance and mine is subjective, meaning I don't actually see um, the spirits like I see you here in the physical, I kind of see them up here and we're shown symbols many times. And I saw a symbol that I thought was meant to represent your career. And I saw the plane and then I saw right. the plane circle and the plane land. And I'm like, <laughs> I think, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to run with this. And I felt really good about it. And then you were like, um, 
No, that's not so much a symbol as like, this is literally what just happened. So if you want to talk about that for a second, if that's okay. So I've been trying to get back to Australia for months now and the government has had caps to the people who are come for the number of people coming in and the airlines have been a real mess because the government keeps changing the rules with, uh, you know, people who are allowed in and whatnot. So it was my second attempt and I actually got on the plane. The first, first attempt, I couldn't even get on the plane. They canceled my ticket at the airport. Second attempt, I got on a plane. I was flying from New York to Phoenix, to LA, to Sydney and everything was okay. I boarded in New York. I was I'm like, this is it. I'm, I'm going to get home. Landed in Phoenix and there was a notification on my phone saying the rest of your ticket has been canceled. So literally I had to get back on a plane to go back to New York. Um, you know, that was three, three months ago now. So yeah, that was a literal that was a literal thing. A little, not a symbol. And yeah. so I'm, I am great. hoping that by the time this episode airs, you are safely in Australia. Australia yeah. And it's I'm funny because it. when I asked you about, well, two things. So the one thing that, um, you know, I always stress to folks is that they're, your loved ones on the other side are never going to say, you have to stay in New York. You mm-hmm. must go to Australia. But what's so beautiful is that when they give their, it's always their opinion it's going to make sense based off of usually like, for example, I try my hardest to get a feel for the personality of the soul that I'm channeling that way, when they give the advice, it's not just a medium going stay in New York because I think Mm. you should stay. That has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with Mm -hmm. it. So I try my hardest to get a feel for their personality. That way you would go, okay, like so-and-so was a practical woman or a practical, it does make sense that even Mm -hmm. though they know how much I miss my family, this might be more important here. And yeah, um, no, that's, that really did stick with me. Good. I'm yeah. glad. And it's, it's and that's also, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Oh. Well, I was going to say one of the other things that, that um, we talked about was my collaborator on, on this new piece coming up and that just, you, you hit the nail on the head with that. Cause I, it's a woman that I just love writing with and, um, and we're about to, to start a writing retreat tomorrow, actually. Oh, you're going with her. So, yeah, yeah, we're both we're both going to Provincetown to do some writing, um, and so it was great to just have that reaffirmation that that this is a good collaboration and um, that it, it's going to be a different journey than than the last show that I did. I'm rooting for you. I know nothing Thank but. You, I know me uh, even as if you can imagine with your already your career being so phenomenal but I know just nothing but the biggest and best things are coming your way in addition so and now it's time for some last minute questions if you were stuck as a ghost in a theater which doesn't happen but again if you were stuck for all of eternity and you could only listen or watch one musical over and over every night what would it be that's a great question that's what Jen said she was like this is a phenomenal question oh god just one just one. Oh, there's so many. Um, well, not so many. There's, you can give two if you need okay. to. Well, <laughs> my first was going to be West Side Story, but then I wanted to change it to Gypsy. Okay, so so far Gypsy is leading the pack. We've got about <laughs> six. I don't know which wow. which order this will, but West Side Story has not come up yet. Oh, and, interesting. Well, fun story for you. You'll you'll appreciate this. My vocal director growing up, I did theater at um, this incredible 
um, summer camp for for young artists, and it you know really helped me to get the bug. And our vocal director, um, his name was his name was Donnie, and he was in the original just crazy he ran the first national tour of west side story and he told me that when he got the interview for the audition he had no clue who was going to be there and he was given an address and the address was leonard's home and he got there and they threw the score at him and they were just like play from start to finish and that was that was the audition and he was like i found out right on crazy right he got the job right on the spot and then they were like we'd like you to join us tonight and so don got to sat excuse me, to sit in the pit of the original Broadway production of West Side Story and just listen to this what brand new show. Like it gives me goosebumps to tell that's it. A, it's, yeah. Like that's a classic Broadway story. He was, he was incredible. Dream. So. Um, How fantastic. Random musical theater character that you think you it could be any um, that you think would benefit most from a medium. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny i well i i went to adina's character i think because she was freshest on for beth or elizabeth for elizabeth Um, she would yeah yeah um but then i (laughs) went to olive ostrovsky from spelling bee because that poor little soul she needs it she just needs some love and some guidance yes She's got so many family issues. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Elizabeth or Beth. Well, depends on you know if she's Beth or Elizabeth. You know which one might be the medium more. Uh, But definitely Olive would need. She needs just Olive. Just needs a hug. You know she does. But can you imagine what if then at the end of the show after um after what's his name dies James Snyder medium James Snyder. We don't Jen and I don't even call him Josh. We just say James. Josh, I know. I was like, why can't I remember his name? James. Yeah, that James would be a good one. Josh. Um, James, who plays Josh, is what Michael Greif used to say. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. final question. What do you think, um, with your own psychic predictions, what do you think the future of, of Broadway looks like when we're back from this pandemic? Oh, tweet, I haven't let myself visualize it yet, I think, because I am nervous. That it's, sure. That's not going to be, like, better. <laughs> Um, look, I think the optimistic me will see all the theaters full again, as in like a show in every theater, plus the theaters being full, full of New Yorkers, full of tourists, full of people who want to support the arts. Um, I think we're going to have a lot more diverse theater. I think that's one of the great things that's going to come out of this time. Um, and the, 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 the interest in telling way more diverse stories and having uh, diverse creative teams. I think that we are going to see, you know, maybe five years because things take a while to be developed, even in a good healthy year. Um, But I think five years from now, I would love to see just a bunch of different styles of show, different people writing, you know, people of all shapes and sizes and colors on those stages. A Carmel Dean musical on Broadway. That, that's what I'd like to see. That's what, and I'm telling you, I'm all about we make it manifest. You know, I always yep. say you put out there to the universe what you expect. And if yep. we think that we don't deserve something, it doesn't happen. And so, no, I'm putting Love. it out there for you. 
it's a comedy Com- musical on Broadway with Edna uh, Edna St. Vincent in the front row and Spirit. Yes. So well, I want to thank you so much for mm-hmm. for being our guest. This is this is um, it's just such a gift to have you here and to to soak up a little bit of your perspective in the way you know, because so many of my, so many of the guests I've had are, are more on stage and it's, it's such a treat to have somebody that is, you know, writing music and, and interpreting music, even if it's not, it, it was just a thrill. So thank you so much. Mm, thank um, you, Jimmy. Folks at home, I will put some links up to, to some of my favorite pieces of her work to, to her website. So you can get to learn more about her. If you don't know who she is yet, if you don't shame on you, but no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but you better learn more about her after this. So again, thank you for being our guest and um, get to Australia safely and Thanks. we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jimmy. Bye-bye. Hi everyone. I want to thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed if you want to learn more about Stage Door Medium, please feel free to give me a follow at Stage Door Medium on Instagram, stagedoormedium.com, and on YouTube, Stage Door Medium as well. I hope you're well, and we'll see you soon.